I want to start with two short stories. And uh, the first one, has any of you gone shopping online in the last few days? Raise your hand. Be honest. There's a lot of shopping to be done, right? And I, uh, I took advantage of one of the sales. There was an item I wanted, and I bought it. I won't tell you which platform. And uh, I picked same-day shipping. And don't do that. Because what happened was they tried to ship it out, and it wasn't shipped. And as I was watching my order, I saw the word canceled. And on these platforms, if, you, if they don't ship it on time, they will cancel it. And I messaged the person, note cancel, please. And they still canceled it. I said, no, no, please reinstate it. No matter what I did, my order was canceled. So the next day, I went on tech support, messaged the store, messaged the people, kept trying to get the item. And they said they, they couldn't reinstate it. It was canceled. I had to order again. But I said, do you guys understand? If I order again, there's no more sale. So they said, we'll give you a coupon, 100 pesos. It's so little compared to the savings on the sale. So I felt very disappointed. And that's a silly small story of disappointment, right? We, I was hoping on buying something. I was disappointed. My, my daughter, on the other hand, because of our travels, because of COVID, she has a very good friend that she couldn't wait to see. And finally, after seven months, they got together. And she was so happy. They planned their whole day. They did some baking, some crafts. They watched a show. And the next day, which was yesterday, as we were biking, they were biking and I was jogging, I asked her, how do you feel? Because her friend had left. And guess what she said? She said, I feel happy, but also sad. And I, and I talked to her. I said, it's interesting, right? You got everything you wanted, the dream you were waiting for, and there's this something still missing. And it wasn't that different from my disappointment at the end. Yes, I didn't get what I wanted, she did. As I was running with them, I told my daughter, you know, that's life. If we only look for things here, sooner or later we will find it's never enough. And I, you know, as I was running with them, I couldn't help but shed a tear because I even whispered, and so is this moment. You know, I was running and the three of them were biking, and it's such a beautiful, as a father, and fathers here, you know the feeling of seeing your children, their joy, and I wish we could put it in a place and keep it forever, but we can't. Sooner or later, I, 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 I was telling my daughter, I said, even this moment, it, it passes, and I have just memories. I said, you know, that's life. And I'm not trying to be negative. I, this message begins with a great hope. It's this big unless. Everything in this world, no matter how amazing it is, or the things we miss out on, the hope in this world, it is incomplete. It just isn't enough. Unless, and the message today is unless we grasp and understand God's message of hope for us. I know last week, we did the, the Christmas, we began the Christmas Unwrapped series. And my father talked about God's best. And how if we look at the life of Joseph and Mary, 
we can learn from them how we can have God's best by realizing God's grace, responding in faith and obedience and rejoicing in God and his word so we can experience his best. And today, I want to continue that pursuit, focusing on God's hope, God's message of hope for us through another character. And Judah told us who it was. Thank you, Brother Judah. It's John the Baptist. It's so cool that this is December 18, and exactly one week from now is Christmas Day. So one week from today is Christmas, and that's when we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Today, we will talk about the forerunner who was prophesied in the Bible to come before Jesus, John the Baptist, and how he proclaimed God's message to people. So I'm so excited to be talking about John the Baptist. I want to encourage you, next week, bring a friend, invite someone. My dad will give a special message on Christmas. And, you know, I try to bring one person each if you want, and we'll talk more about this. But let us open in prayer as we look into the life of John the Baptist. Our Heavenly Father, our great giver of hope, Thank you that we can come before you today and together worship. Just the songs alone were enough to just sing praises to you. But I pray, Lord, as I speak, you would speak through me, and it would not be me, but you speaking. Everyone here, Lord, I pray for their hearts that your spirit would move and that whatever is distracting in our lives, that you would allow us, help us to lay it aside to hear what you have to say about your messenger about your message of hope. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. So, Christmas unwrap the story, and we're going to look at John the Baptist. Our outline is very simple. First, God's messenger, it's John the Baptist. Second, God's message, Jesus Christ. And the third is a secret bullet point for you to guess so you can wait. My cliffhanger, God's messenger, John the Baptist. I want to set the stage. Before John appeared on the scene, it was 400 years of silence. The last prophet was Malachi. And the people had been conquered by Rome, and they were hungry for God. They were waiting for their, their Messiah. And, and before their Messiah, they were waiting for the one that is prophesied to come, before the Messiah. You know how long 400 years is? Do you know what happened 400 years ago? The U.S. was not yet a country. About 480 years ago, Ferdinand Magellan just discovered this country. Can you imagine that much silence? How many generations had passed, and they just passed down the story Someone is coming. Someone is coming. But it's like today, right? Many of us, we, we hear or we come to know the Lord and we're waiting. We're like, something's going to happen. And what's happening? It seems like things are getting worse, actually. Times are tougher. Values are eroding. And the world seems to be going mad. It's a very similar time in that sense. And people were hungry just like they are today. 
It's just that the people that are hungry today, we are looking everywhere else for the answer. We look for it in, like I said, shopping, in TV series. There's so much to watch. I don't think you can actually watch. You have enough time in your life to watch all the shows now. Before, you just doubt, you know, we have Betamax, and there's only a few you have to rent. Now it's whatever you want. Online, so many things. We are looking for meaning. People are looking for answers. There was a prophecy in Malachi 4, 5 to 6. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. You know, Elijah didn't die. Went up to heaven. So they're waiting for him to come back. He will turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and strike the land with complete destruction. The hearts of the children to the fathers. You know, when the family values are eroded, you know something's going wrong in society. And we see that today. And isn't it nice if there was someone who would come to turn the hearts of the children and the fathers back together? Well, that day, they were waiting. And the, what I heard and I read, during Passover, the Jews either save a seat or a glass of wine or something, a cup of wine, for Elijah. In case Elijah would come, he's got his cup there waiting for him. That's how much they anticipated the coming messenger. Let's learn now about John. So John appears, and my dad shared about the prophecies, how it was fulfilled, and Jesus, the one who came before Jesus is John, and there's his father. There was a priest named Zechariah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in the commandments and requirements of God. What can we learn about John's parents? Parents. Who's a parent here? Raise your hand. They were righteous in the sight of God. You know, parents matter. You have a huge impact on your children's future. And this is a, without God, it's a burden so, so big to carry. Look at the impact of, fa- of a parent. I'm not going to read all of this, but we remember this illustration. We've used it. Two different family trees. One was a godly man. One was a drunkard, not a good man. And you see the results, right? 13 college presidents, doctors, judges, pastors, lawyers, a vice president here, paupers, criminals, murderers, drunks, prostitutes. Parents have a huge impact. John had great parents. They were righteous. There's so much more I can say, but in the time I have, I will just leave it at that. And then we look deeper at Luke 1, 13 to 15, which we read, actually 13 to 17, but 13 to 15. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been answered. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son, and you shall name him John. God, through an angel, told them what the name will be. John, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice over his birth. So John would bring joy and gladness, and people would rejoice. He will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. 
So I have a chart, so it's easy to follow. I'm going to write things about John. It's like a rapid fire. I'm going to begin, though, with this one, filled with the Holy Spirit. Because before he was born, before he was great, before he didn't drink wine, what did the Bible say? He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. So everything that happens is a result of item number one. Everything John does is God at work. Yes, John is a great man, and we'll see that, but it's God working. Always remember that. It's all about God. He brought joy and gladness. That's what we need today. That's what people need around you. Filled with the Holy Spirit, when John was born, he would bring joy and gladness. And then his great in God's eyes. Wouldn't that be awesome if God said you would be great in his eyes? What does that mean? You know, Jesus himself in Matthew 11 said, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Of course, Jesus, conceived of God by God himself, is greater, but among those born of women, you know, humans only. Even though God was fully human as well, he was also God. There's no one greater. And Matthew 3 tells us about this amazing man. Look at the contrast. Now, John had a garment of camel's hair and leather belt. What was he wearing? Not a suit, not a red shirt, camel's hair, leather belt, and his food was locusts and wild honey. And at the time, Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan. So is, what is greatness? It's not what we normally think. If you saw John today, you might actually be a little worried about meeting him. <laughs> Imagine if I was standing before you in camel's hair and a belt, and I'm eating locusts and honey. Oy, gutom ako. What's locusts? Do we have locusts in this country? Kung walang locusts, ano kakainin natin? Ipis. No, bad joke. He doesn't eat ipis. I think locusts are healthier. Sorry. Um, he was so simple. So greatness is not the way we see greatness. You will have joy and gladness. We'll go back. He will drink no wine or liquor. I want to highlight this. What is this? Back then, um, you could make a vow to be a Nazarite. And wine isn't evil. Even Jesus drank wine. But John was to set himself apart and not drink any alcohol. And this is a special commitment. And the idea here, and there was only three that we know in the entire Bible that were Nazarites for life. I think it was Samson, uh, Samuel, and John the Baptist. And Samson was great until he, he broke something, right? He, 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 you know, you guys know the story. So he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and great in God's eyes, and then he set himself apart for God. What is the lesson for, for all of us? If you want to serve God many times, you must deny certain things. Maybe things aren't wrong, but for the sake of doing more for the kingdom, you know, this idea others can, I cannot. So there are many things that aren't bad. Like I said, 
there's so much to watch. Netflix, you name it, KTV, K-songs, K-dancers, everything you can imagine. Hobbies, there's so many hobbies under the sun. But maybe when we want to be more like John, we would uh, lay aside some of those to spend more time with the Lord. And I myself have to improve in this area for sure. I love hobbies, so does my wife. Um, Luke 1, 15 to 17, we go back, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. I, I left that there. He will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. So notice, John will be used by God through the Holy Spirit. That's why I left it there. It is not John who turns their hearts. It's God will turn the hearts of the sons of Israel back to the Lord. And John is his messenger. And it will be he who will go as a forerunner, which we talked about, in the spirit and power of Elijah. So here you see that Elijah is coming back, but not the way the people thought. Why? It is in the spirit and power of Elijah. This is very important. The same Holy Spirit that enabled Elijah to do great things, you know, to pray and it would rain, and then pray and it wasn't, wouldn't rain, is the same spirit that is going to fill John the Baptist. And that's why Elijah is back in the Bible when John the Baptist comes. To turn the hearts of the fathers, which we read, back to the children, and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So John is going to be a forerunner, and he turns hearts back to the Lord. Wouldn't you like to be like John? And I, I, he also, the turning of the hearts is helping people be righteous. What is his message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the one referred to by Isaiah, the voice of one calling out in the wilderness. So this verse tells us what John told people. He would tell people to repent. We will talk about that in the next passage, the next section. So just note this. John called people to repent. And as we wrap up this section, uh, two more points. Matthew 3 tells us, When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming, he said, you offspring of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? What is the point here? John is not afraid to speak the truth. He's not afraid to tell people what is true. You know, the Pharisees, they were the leaders. In today's society, are we afraid sometimes to speak the truth? No one wants to be canceled. No one wants to, to receive, there's a lot of online hate. So we're so like worried about speaking truth. And we have to challenge that, right? We have to ask ourselves, what does God want us to say? Sometimes we want to speak the truth, but it's for the wrong reasons. Now yesterday, after we went jogging and then we, we were going back uh, into the subdivision, you know the X mark when there's an intersection? What does the X mark mean? Anyone? Don't leave your car there, right? You must leave it open. And as I was literally walking with my children, and the stoplight was red, so they can't move anymore, two cars just went there. 
So what was I going to do? So my blood's boiling. So I look at the cars. I walk around it. And the car was ignoring me. But then the truck, I looked at the driver. And he's in the car seat. And then he looks at me. And I, and I say, boss, my ex. Then he looks at me. He goes, Ay, sorry. You know, when he did that, I actually felt happy. Because he was humble, and you know, I looked at him and said, no problem, it's okay. And then I walked off. But sometimes, we speak the truth because we're angry, because we're mad. That's not why we speak the truth. We speak the truth in love. And we must be careful, because if we speak the truth in anger, they will not hear truth. They will hear anger. So John was speaking the truth, and he just told them, who warned you? He called them what they are, vipers. So the point here, he was not afraid to confront with the truth. And the last point I will give about John is, you yourselves are my witnesses. So in John 3, and a lot of verses, he said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent what? ahead of him. He, who's, he who has the bride is the groom, but the friend of the groom who stands and listens to him rejoices greatly because of the groom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. What was John saying in all of this? Look at the verse. He's telling everyone, I am not the Christ. You know, people were wondering, are you the Messiah? He said, I am not the Christ. I am the one ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom. So that's Jesus, but the friend of the groom, which is John, who stands and listens. So John is actually saying, as I listen, as I hear him, I rejoice greatly because of the groom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. You know, in churches, even in our families, we sometimes are focused on ourselves. So even in a church, you know, when someone leaves a church, and starts another church, and you're like, why they leave, you know? Uh, is their church going to get bigger? You know, churches have to be careful. Because what is John's focus? All about Jesus. As a father, I feel it sometimes, even in families. We had a dinner with a very good friend, and their, their kids are so talented. <laughs> and as their kids were... We're, we're, we're just, you know, we asked them to, sh to share with us a, a performance of something. I looked at my daughter, and she looks at me and says, she's so talented. And I looked at her and said, yeah. And then I thought to myself, you're going to go home and start practicing all your talents. But it's for the wrong reason, right? Because I'm comparing. Parents, do you know that feeling? You see someone's kids, and you're like, wait, anak ko, sobrang iPad. So we, we, we just really, right? And so our kids went home and watched TV that night, and I succeeded. Um, but this is, this is the point is, what if the question is different? What if I look at my daughter and teach her this? How are you going to increase Christ in your life? Use your talents for him and use them well. And then maybe as her heart grasps this, she will become excellent, but not because daddy wants to see an excellent child so he can brag to the world, which is what we are doing. Office is selfish. It's so that Jesus can say to her, well done. And what happens to me? 
I'm just satisfied. Because underneath it all, she's doing it for the right reasons. So parents, right? This idea, us, in our own lives, we get jealous, we compare. But if you're thinking heavenward, if you're focused on Christ, which is what John was like, he pointed people to who? To Jesus. It's always pointing people to Jesus. And that is the most humble, if that's a word, I think. Because humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking... Sorry. Humility is not thinking of yourself less. It is thinking less of yourself and more of others. And there's no one greater that we can care to, to lift up than Jesus Christ. And so if you do this, you will be humble without thinking, oh, I am humble. Because the moment you think you're humble, it cannot, doesn't work, right? You heard about that joke? I shared it. Someone received the most humble award. And he had to give it back because he wore the award. Um, silly joke. So the last point, point people to Jesus. We have all of this. Filled with the Holy Spirit, brought joy and gladness, great in God's eyes, set himself apart, as a forerunner, turned many hearts back to the Lord, called on people to repent, was, afraid to conf- was not afraid to confront, pointed people to Jesus, and all of that is based on the start. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And we go to the second point. When John saw Jesus coming, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I have an illustration on this verse. Um, My friend sent it to me. In 1857, uh, a day or two before preaching at the Crystal Palace, I think this was Charles Spurgeon, went, uh, was decided where the platform should be fixed. And in order to test the acoustic properties, cried in a loud voice, Behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. In one of the galleries there was a workman who knew nothing of what was being done, but he heard the words, and they came like a message from heaven to his soul. He was smitten with conviction on account of sin, put down his tools, went home, and there, after a season of spiritual struggling, found peace in life by beholding the Lamb of God. It was on his deathbed that this man told the story of his conversion. The result of God speaking to him through a single verse of Scripture used by Spurgeon. Can you imagine? One man heard this verse, just this verse, and gave his life to Christ. That is the power of the message we are going to hear now, which is God's message of hope. Jesus Christ. A few things about this message. When I cover this message, I cannot cover it the same way I just talked about John. About John, I talked about a person and I named traits. This message is still being sent out today. So when I share the message, it is not me telling a story of some distant event. I pray that as I share this message, you would hear God whispering to you who he is. And, you know, it is not just something that happened 2,000 years ago, but it is 
not for the message. This message is not for the person beside you. Don't think, oh, my wife needs to hear this. We always like to do that in Sunday when there's a good point. You look at your husband or your wife or your child or your friend, and you're like, this is for us today. It's how powerful this is. So I want to share this message afresh to you. And God reminded me over the holidays that he is a, a personal God. You know, when I arrived in, um, in the U.S. recently, I wanted to save money. You know, tickets are so expensive today, right? So we go to Arizona. So I told my wife, we will go to L.A. Because it's cheaper, just one leg. And then I will drive to Arizona. <laughs> but, you know, last year when we rode coach, there was only 30 people in the whole plane. So I had a, seat, a row to myself. This year, when we rode coach, I think there was extra people hiding in the aisles because it's so full. It is so full if you guys fly today. And so literally the whole time, right, you're just like, Kink. and then I don't sleep well sitting up. Something just doesn't work. So I get to L.A., and as our usual with three kids, everything's slow. We get out of L.A. at 3 o'clock. Do you know what time that is? Rush hour. Arizona is six hours away without traffic. So I start driving. We arrive at Arizona at 12 o'clock at midnight. And the whole time I feel like falling asleep. I can't. My wife actually helped me drive. Thank you, Jennifer. So I saved money, but I lost years of life. <laughs> the point of all this is when I was in the U.S., I couldn't sleep. The first three days, something happened to my body clock. And those of you who struggle with insomnia, I have a renewed, um, what's the word here, appreciation for how hard it is. I would lie down at night. I don't know if you guys have felt this, and my brain will not stop. You're so tired, but your brain can't shut down. And you feel like you're alive as you're dreaming, but you're not dreaming. It's the weirdest feeling. Three days in a row, I couldn't sleep. I had to go to New York. And this thing happened for a while. And one night, I'm just lying down. Sleep, 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 sleep. You know, the moment you say that, you're not going to sleep. It's the worst thing. And I finally opened my eyes. I'm like, oh, it's not going to work. And I get a book on my Kindle. And it's called, A.W. Tozer wrote a book, Man's Pursuit of God. But he wrote another book. It's called God's Pursuit of Man. So beautiful. You know, I read it. Talks about how God is a personal God. You know, sometimes as a Christian, when you've been a Christian for many years, you forget how personal God is. Because we, we think, oh, he doesn't have so much time. He's got 8 billion, 9 billion people to worry about. I'm just one of them. And I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to be humble. So, okay, God, you know, you take care of everyone else. I've got your truths, and that's good enough. But you guys all know that's not enough. We need to remember how wonderful God is, how personal he is. And when I read that, ah, I was so happy. I, I said, thank you, Lord, for reminding me how much you care, that you have time out of the 9 billion people to spend all day with me. It's not like, you know, when I... I wrote uh, an NBA star one time. I said, we're in a church. We have a big church. We're starting a sports ministry. Would you come? I won't tell you which NBA star. Never received a reply, right? People hear it. You guys, you know how it is. You see someone special. 
walang oras para sa akin, magsiselfie na lang ako. Habang lumalakad, hahabulin mo na lang, right? It's so hard. But with God, it's not that. God says, I love you. If you were the only person in this world, I would still come and be the lamb that takes away the sin of your name. And so I share this message now. Think of it as God speaking to you. Mark 1, it says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Just as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I am sending my messenger before you. By the way, I was able to sleep. I forgot. There's a happy ending. I was able to sleep. That night, I slept. And then after that, I could sleep again. But still, I sometimes worry at night, right? I'm like, oh, no more gadgets. You know, honestly, I, I put away my gadgets. Before, I use gadgets a lot. But it, anyway, I'm distracted. Sorry, Lord. Behold, I am sending my messenger before you. Who will what? Prepare your way. So whose way? Um, Isaiah wrote, the voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Can I share with you the full text? It's beautiful. Look at this. And this is the one speaking to you today. The voice of one calling out, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Why, why did they say this back then? The roads, the roads are not paved like they are now. Those are bad roads. So when someone special is coming, when a king is coming, they have to make it, they have to work. Well, we're going to pave the road. I mean, you know, we'll clear it. But look at how important this person is. They're not just going to make straight a highway. Let every valley, there's a valley, we're going to raise it up. And every mountain will be pushed low. And let the uneven ground become a plain, and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. How big is, our, is the one that is calling to you today? who John was proclaiming. He's so special. The analogy is, we're not just going to clear the road. We're going to level the mountains, raise the valley, so that when he comes, it is a highway. And there's this version which says, he's so special, the king. But I want you to think of it in your heart as well. When, when you want God to come, we must prepare our hearts. What is in the way? Don't just push it to the side a little. If there's something in the way, tear it out. You know, if there's a valley in your life, don't just, okay, this is good enough, God. Why don't we make it a highway for the Lord to come into our lives? And what is the message? What is the message that God had for the people through John the Baptist? In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet. What is repentance? What is repentance? Many of us think it's turning away from sin. But that actually isn't the biblical definition. The word used is Metanoia, which in 
The biblical definition is to change one's mind or heart. So repentance means to change one's mind or heart. Look at how John said it. He said, therefore, produce fruit consistent with what? The changing of one's mind or heart. So John is not saying repent, turn away from sin first. He's saying change your mind about something. And then because of that change of mind, you will turn away from sin. The fruit follows the changing of the mind or the heart. What is it that we are to change our mind or heart about? So what is biblical repentance? Remember this definition. To change of mind or heart that results in a change of action. But what is the change of mind? Well, I challenge each of us. It's to change our mind about ourselves and Christ and God. And there's, each of us, it's a little different maybe, but there's a theme that's the same. First, about ourselves. We must realize that we are doomed because of sin. We cannot save ourselves no matter what. Nothing we do will ever be enough. You know why? Because if we're not careful, we look to the things that we have or the things of this life for, for it, whatever it is, you know, for happiness, for meaning. It's, well, if, my, if I get this, if I get that, if I become this, if I become that, if this, 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 if I achieve this, 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 if I change this, 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 if I become good, this, 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 the first change of mind is, who am I really? I am a sinner, never going to be good enough on my own. I'm doomed. That's important to know. There is a consequence for my current state. It's not like, well, we'll see. No, this is urgent. The second, about Jesus. Jesus is my only hope, not just my only hope. He's my God who loves me and died for me to redeem me. It's important because that means I follow my master. So John was calling the people to change their mind about Jesus and about themselves. This is repent, and that's what repentance is. Repentance doesn't save us. Repentance, the Bible tells us, leads to salvation. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation. Because repentance is that, it all, it's, by the way, repentance is a gift of God. There's another verse, I didn't show it, but it says uh, repentance is from God. But repentance is that understanding, that change of mind, I need help. I'm not perfect, and I need help. That's repentance. And then asking God, so this sin I can't do, I, I can't do it without you. I need your help. This, 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 I need you. It's that sincere turning of your heart to the Lord. And when we know that, this verse makes sense. When he saw Jesus, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away 
the sin of the world. This is such a special verse because for the Jews, those of you who uh, know this, they would, they would celebrate Passover. And in Passover, there's a Passover lamb. And the Passover lamb is to commemorate that back when they were still enslaved in Egypt, and God was going to kill all the firstborns. If you kill the lamb and put the blood on the doorpost, your family would be saved, spared. And the Jews have a history of sacrifice. They understand that something must pay for sin. So when John said this, all the Jews knew what this meant. It meant what I just said. They needed someone to save them, and this was it. This was the Messiah who takes away the sin of the world. That's what we need most, our sin to be dealt with. And that's why this verse is so powerful when you now understand that. And this is God's message for each of us to remind us his love. For the wages of sin is death. But the gracious gift, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know a lot of Tagalog verses, but I know this one well. Ang kabayaran ng kasalanan ay kamatayan. Ngunit, well, this is where I struggle a bit, but ngunit ang libreng regalo ng Diyos ay buhay na walang hanggan. Sa mamagitan ni Kristo. I know I kind of didn't do that part right. There's better words, but, oh yeah. Hey. Clap for the Lord, right? Not for my Tagalog. Amazing verse. What Jesus has done. This is such an amazing, powerful verse. Does this verse still grab your heart? Now, I saw my mom when, when singing about the song, she tears up. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one can boast. It's very important to understand repentance doesn't save us, repentance is the change of mind, so that we go to God and say, Save me. And that's what we all need. And I was looking for an example of trust, and I thought, I'm going to have my daughter stand here and turn around and fall backwards, and some of you catch her. But you want to do that? No. She doesn't want to do it. So instead, yesterday, we were, at, uh, we were crossing a footbridge, and there was a guard who we see all the time. He's always guarding that footbridge. And... Uh, it dawned on me I had never shared the gospel with him. So I stopped, and I, I shared with him. I asked him this question. I said, you know, where do you go to church? Do you know Jesus? I said, do you know if you're going to heaven tomorrow? I said, we don't, I don't know. I said, well, let me tell you one verse. I read him John 3.16. I said, do you understand what John 3.16 means? For God so loved the world... He gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So I said, so what do you need to go to heaven? I said, I, I need to believe in Jesus. I said, you know what belief is? I said, can a man fly? He said, no. I said, but you are flying right now because you are standing over all the cars. I said, why are we able to stand over all the cars? Because we placed our faith on this bridge. We're standing on the bridge. I said, that's what faith is. It's realizing that it's not how you feel. When you go to God and just tell him in all sincerity, I need you. I'm not good enough to make it. 
I'm not good enough to even repent properly, but I'm willing. And I surrender to you, and whatever the cost, help me to do it. If I have something in my life that needs to change and I struggle, help me to change. You know, God will answer that very scary prayer. He will take out of your life the things that are in the way, the crooked roads, the valleys that need to be straightened. And, and I said to the guy, that's faith. So I asked him after, so saan ka pabunta? He said, heaven. He said, why? Jesus Christ. So I was happy because after a year of seeing that guy, it just never dawned on me except yesterday. And I wasn't, I don't think it was because we're speaking today. I, I just thought of God spoke to me at that moment. Maybe it was the right time. And so here's a verse for you, and I'm going to transition to, the, to the, the closing part right after this. When the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for, put your name there instead of mankind. And His love for Peter, or for me, appeared. He saved me. Not on the basis of deeds which I did in righteousness, but in accordance with His mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He richly poured out on me through Jesus Christ, my Savior, so that being justified by His grace, I would be made heir, an heir, according to the hope of eternal life. We don't have time to talk about that one word, heir. But to realize you are God's son or God's daughter, later on as we wrap up, I think I'll be able to get back to it. It's beautiful. So this verse, and I don't, I'm going to skip this verse because of time, but this is the prophecy of, of his father for John the Baptist. He prophesied about his son. Zechariah said, you child will be called the prophet of the Most High. The last prophet, by the way. He was the last prophet in the Old Testament. After that, Jesus Christ. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways to give his people, that's us, the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Because the tender, of the tender mercy of our God, which, which, isn't this beautiful? The sunrise from on high will visit us to shine to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. You know, many people in the pandemic sat in darkness, couldn't go out, and that was just physical seclusion. Many people are walking in spiritual darkness, just sitting, don't know what to do. And Jesus is saying, and God is saying, I'm the sunrise that will come and shine a light. Have you experienced that? You guys know, those of you who have, you know the feeling, right? The light dawning on your life, it's beautiful. As we close, I promised a, a last section. But before I get there, I want to ask um, if there's anyone here who has not given their life to Jesus, who has not experienced this, what I'm talking about. This message has not become yours. I'm going to pray right now um, in the middle of the message for you. And you can pray with me um, the simple prayer because God's looking at the heart and the words just express what we mean. 
It's, it's this prayer. Lord, I need you. I need, I need a Savior. I can't do it without you. Will you be my Lord and my Savior? And whatever you want me to do in life, help me. Help me to be the man and woman you want me to be and work in my life to change whatever you need to change. I'm going to pray that. If you want to pray that, just bow your heads with me. We're not yet done, so don't get up and leave. Uh, We've we're, we're got one more short section. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I need you. I need a Savior. I, I want to repent and change my mind about myself, that I can do it without you. And I want to change my mind about you, that I need you. You, that, I, that I don't need you, so I actually need you, Lord. So, Lord, I repent. I admit that I need a Savior and that you are God who died for me. Please save me and come into my life and change me however you want. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. So if you prayed that with me and all of you who have before, this is the last part. Will you be his messenger too? You know, we can. You cannot give what you don't have. That's why I waited, and I want to pray with you first. You cannot share something properly that you have not first understood. And this is the best message we can ever give people. And the Bible says in Acts 1-8, you will receive what? Power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and as far as the remotest parts of the earth. Who will receive power? Each of you. What power? The same spirit that was in Elijah, that was in John, is yours. And what you do with that, God will guide you. How, how you let the spirit move in your life. Do you know that Jesus himself said, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, but I didn't read this. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Anyone forgiven of all their sins and declared righteous before God through faith, as we had earlier in Christ Jesus, is better, is greater than John the Baptist standing on his own righteousness. Because of Jesus Christ, all of us are greater than John the Baptist now. So all of us in Christ, obviously, can point to Jesus just like John did. And I want to encourage you, you don't have to be perfect. This is my second to the last verse. In Matthew 11, Look at John. While in prison, John heard about the works of Christ and sent word to his disciples and said to them, are you coming? Are you the coming one? Or are we to look for someone else? What happened here? You know, when John grew up, he heard all the stories and the prophecies because his parents taught him and he would memorize them. And he believed, as many of the Jews did, and even when he said some things, I didn't have the verse, but he said, God's winnowing fork is at hand, or in his hand, and, and the axe is at the, you know, is at the foot of the tree. Like, in John's mind, when he came, Jesus would come and turn everything upside down. 
In John's mind, I'm coming, and then the world is going to change, and everything's going to be all right. But what happened? He got put in a prison five miles from the Dead Sea, and he doesn't know what's going on. So John had doubt. Do you guys sometimes feel doubt? I think we all do. It's normal because part of what we are hoping for is not yet complete here. And so we give our lives to Christ and we expect a monumental change. And then things seem like they're a little more of the same. For some of us, there is a huge change and we don't have doubts right now. But sometimes doubt creeps in. The other, what was this, Friday, a week ago, so we have a business we're trying to save, and I had some payments that were supposed to come in, and I thought they were coming in, and I planned everything, and when, the, when I was told the payments will come in, I was so happy. I sang a song of praise in my chair, and then the payments came in at 4 o'clock. Those of you in business, what's 4 o'clock? It's past, cut off. So the checks couldn't be deposited. So we actually missed some payments that night. And it was a Friday. And the penalties go on the weekend. And as I was biking to a meeting, I felt so sad. I told the Lord, you made me hope. All this work. And I really was. And I said, why, Lord? Why all that work? For what? And then God said, well, you, I learned a lesson. I shouldn't wait until the very end, but I said, well, remind people, it doesn't always work out, but it's okay. It doesn't have to always work out. That's a simple story. I shared my shopping experience, but there's a child that I'm praying for. She's dying of cancer. And, you know, and, and when the parents talk to me, I don't have an answer. You know, we prayed, we found treatment in another country. We thought she was getting better. She's not. And you don't have an answer sometimes. It's tough. And so all of us know this feeling. Things don't always work out. But do we look at the circumstance based on what's happening or do we remind ourselves who God is? I want to challenge all of us. Sometimes when we're discouraged, it's because we're not actually hoping enough. What I mean by that is this. We're not seeing the bigger picture. Remember I said that God is a loving father. And we are his heirs. Perhaps the answer for the child who is going to see the Lord, if, if she doesn't survive, I don't know yet, is her father wants to see her faster. That's an amazing thing. If you realize death is God saying, I want, I want you to be with me already. Suddenly, is death so bad? It's not. It's your graduation from this difficult life. It's God saying, I love you so much, I want you to be with me already. If you see it that way, it doesn't, doesn't seem so bad. So we must look at life, not, we don't look at God through the lens of life. We look at life through the lens of God. That is the change of mind that also happens. So, for example, that issue, well, God's blessed me in other areas. 
I can sleep. For those of you who can't sleep, you'd give whatever to sleep, right? Um, I could share a story with you. God's done many things. And the list goes on and on. So what did Jesus tell John? He didn't say, that's a silly question. No, Jesus said, go and report to John. What was the report? What you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The limp walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed, and those who are deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. That all happens today. Those who are blind, sometimes there's physical healing, sometimes there's not, but spiritually, we see. Those who limp, we walk, limp around life. Maybe sometimes people are healed, but spiritually, we are healed. Leprosy, disease is cleansed, spiritual disease, death here, and the dead are raised. All of us who gave our life to Christ, we will be raised. So Jesus is saying, don't despair. You only see this much. There's so much more coming. As I close, he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where he John was first baptizing, and he stayed there. Many came to him, saying, while John performed no sign, yet everything John said about this man was true. Look at that. Many believed. John did not do any sign. Isn't that interesting? You hear someone is filled with the Spirit from birth, and you think he would be doing so many signs. He did no sign. So be careful to attach things of God where you think if God doesn't do a sign, he's not there. Sometimes he does. I have a friend that just gave birth. It was a miracle. Their child, um, the, the next day, I think, because the child wasn't eating well, they were able to find out that it had an infection. So immediately was treated and is now almost well. So God healed, right? So, you know, they've been praying. So my point is sometimes God does heal, but signs are not the evidence that God is at work. He is always at work. And I close with a story. My brother shared this with me. Uh, this is a friend of ours. We had dinner with him in Egypt. He shared this at a conference. Um, there was a lady who became a new Christian with her two teenage boys in Amman. And once her husband found out, he kept her passport and sent her away and kept the boys, the two boys. When her family heard what happened, they wanted to kill her. Because in some parts of the world, if you become a Christian, you're out. She fled south to the Aqaba border and crossed into Egypt because she had heard through a TV program that there was a pastor and a church that really cared for people suffering from persecution. She ended up um, uh, in the same church in Cairo, and they welcomed and cared for her. They gave her a new name, put her in the house of refuge. She was good at English, and so she began to teach English for work. Meanwhile, her husband in Amman proposed to a new woman he fell in love with, but she said she would only marry him if he would get rid of the two boys. 
So they wrote, the, the boys knew how to get a hold of their mother. So they wrote a letter to her, or a letter was written to her. Um, and the proposal was for her to buy her children. And then he would send the children to her. That was the happiest day of her life. Because since he was teaching, she had worked all year and saved enough money to buy her children. And the, the, the guy who was telling the story stopped translating at that point and talked to her. He said, you know, this is the most beautiful picture of redemption. Um, she, she said she didn't know oh, what that meant. And he explained that your kids are yours twice. And that's our story. You know, God created us, but we ran away. And then he bought us back. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So I close with this question for you. Every day, every minute, you are proclaiming a message by your words and deeds. Whose hearts will you prepare today or tomorrow to meet Jesus? And how will you do it? Your family or your kids are watching you. It's your friends, they're watching you, your coworkers. Is it words you will say, deeds you will do, praying for them? Will you be his messenger? What was John? Filled by who? The Holy Spirit. If you are in Christ, you are filled by the Holy Spirit. I want to remind you, next week, invite someone so they can hear this message too. Because the message is still as alive today as it was thousands of years ago. Let us bow in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you. We want to experience your best, and we know your message of hope is the best message, not just for those around us, but for us here today as your children. Thank you for the example of John the Baptist. I pray that we will be able to live a life similar in that we will be filled by your spirit. We will not be afraid to share your truth. We will um, live lives that proclaim your message. We will point people to you all the time. It's all about you. And Lord, I lift it to you, everyone here, those who have given their life recently, as early as, as, early as today, and those who know you, known you for years. Will you be the one to encourage us and remind us that you love us and that as your children in response, it is such a beautiful life to share your message of hope to those around us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.